Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate vision into frontline operations. Today, we're talking about economics, VCs, private equities, and all that good stuff with Abhishek. Thank you very much for being on the show. Pleasure. I'm looking forward to this. Martin. Thank you. Abhishek, can you give us your full name? What do you do for your living? Sure. Uh, my full name is Abhishek Garg. Uh, and currently, I am part of the private markets ecosystem, where I work with a lot of stakeholders in this ecosystem, uh, namely the VCs and private equity firms. And uh, as part of my current work, I support them in the journey of being smarter, better in whatever they do as part of their business operations. Uh, I can share a lot more details as we move forward in this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, what is the title of the show for today, Abhishek? Uh, VCs as a CEO. Uh, perfect. Perfect. We'll discover that and we'll go a little bit more into detail. Well, a lot more into detail. Abhishek, can you, for the benefit of the audience, can you tell us your journey? Where are you from? And then kind of, where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? You know, where'd you go to school? All that stuff and that your journey that takes you up to capital net as of today. Absolutely. So um, uh, I come from India uh, and uh, a very small city in India called Hyderabad. I was born there, uh, end up being an engineer by qualification. But uh, while qualified engineer, the heart always belonged in business and things around business. So moved out of engineering and then end up doing my MBA in, uh, in marketing and MIS and then realize that uh, I have a lot more to learn about how business works in this global ecosystem. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, ended up being part of a corporate organization, uh, one of the big fours called Deloitte. Spent mm -hmm. uh, almost a decade plus over there in multiple roles, multiple teams across, supporting multiple geographies uh, uh, in, my, in my stint. And then uh, realized that there is more to life than working at a corporate, uh, <laughs> however well you get paid and however great the job is. And then started looking at opportunities which can challenge me as a professional. And um, that's where I came across some very interesting stuff happening in the private market ecosystem, largely by the startups mm. and how they look at problems and convert those problems into opportunities and those opportunities into ideas business models and make money out of it right so yeah. that's been my journey so far in the last 17 odd years in a nutshell and yeah uh, always look forward to working with smarter and better people than me and so what does what does your current company do sure so capital net is uh, a technology subscription SaaS provider which uh, has solutions which are used by the private market ecosystem stakeholders. And there are three sets of stakeholders uh, we focus on. The first set are the institutional investors, uh, starting as early as an angel network, 
a micro VC, uh, a VC fund or a corporate fund all the way to a private equity, right? The second set of uh, enterprise stakeholders we collaborate with are the likes of incubators and accelerators. And the third set are the startup founders and entrepreneurs who are actually making the impact or creating those uh, those unicorns, uh, which we hear uh, day in, day out of late, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, why are we doing what we are doing right now? We realize that this ecosystem uh, needs a couple of things. One is a dedicated tech stack between these three stakeholders to enhance their level of collaboration, communication, which is currently not there. Uh, a lot of these stakeholders even today work in silos, while some of the VC funds deploy millions and billions of dollars into technology transformation. Uh, their own private markets ecosystem needs that support. And that's where we come into play. For the benefit of the listener, because I don't think there's a lot of people who are as educated as as most people. Uh, and I'm sure that people don't understand the difference between what's a VC, what's a PE, what's a family office. So could you... In simple terms, uh, kind of go through angel investors, venture capitalists, private equity, and family offices. Sure. So now I'm on your uh, on your podcast, Martin, and you and I are a friend now. Mm-hmm. So collectively, we tomorrow go and we start investing in our individual capacities as angels on a startup. It's as simple as that. That's angel investing where friends and families, people you know, or people you are introduced to, um, like your idea, like mm-hmm. what you are doing. You're too early stage as a company. You're still putting your head around your idea. How do you want to create a product around it? And that's where they will come and support you with the initial investment. Mm-hmm. So that's the angel investing, which uh, happens a lot and is happening all over the world uh, in bits and pockets, right? Mm-hmm. Now, once a company raises some level of angel investing, they have some money, they are working on their idea, uh, they can start seeing some level of uh, early anchor users if they if, if traction, you can call yeah, that so yeah. traction yeah then they can probably for looking at growth looking at making the product more robust they can go for a, a venture cap round and this is where they normally reach out to an institutional investor which is a VC uh, whose life is no easy or complex in its own way right mm-hmm. because they are. Uh, they are working on multiple dimensions. It's not their own money. They have raised money from somebody else. Mm-hmm. They are the custodian of that money and they are using that money to deploy on a company who can use that money for whatever purposes they need for, for growth, for product enhancement, or whatever mm-hmm. the case be. And in the same journey, if the company continues to be successful in what they are doing, uh, they end up uh, graduating to a bigger round of funding where they need global growth or they need to get start getting ready for listing on an IPO or stock market, that's where the PE firms come into play and they can start helping them with that or get acquired or get merged, look for a merger or something like that. So those are some of the liquidation events they can look at as they start graduating in the company. So it starts as small as an angel investor and it can go um, as matured as a private equity firm. So it's not necessarily the size of the check. It's really about the journey within the business that determines who you're going to deal with. It's it's absolutely a function of the two. You're right. Okay. And then um, 
in regards to time commitment, I guess an angel investor, you just have to smile, look pretty, wave, and go, hey, hand, put your hand out and go, hey, can you give me some money? That would be the definition of the transaction with, um, so not, not a lot of due diligence, not a lot of homework. It's really how can you sell your idea to this individual to give you some money? So that's number one. I, I can explain that one. Um, how about a VC? What's the level of commitment from both parties in regards to the transaction of handing over a check from the VC, the venture capital, to the company? So um, uh, for, for me to answer that question, um, probably I'll, I'll set up some more context how a VC fund runs, mm -hmm. right? So as a VC, uh, as, a, as a fund manager or the general partner of a fund, um, it's it's a very unique business model and the uniqueness over here is that as a fund manager they end up managing two different funnels right mm -hmm. the first funnel which they manage is of prospective uh, investors or called as limited partners mm -hmm. in their terminology where they need to reach out to them and take uh, their confidence their trust build a rapport with them so that they can invest in the fund and the thesis of the fund by which they wish to look at the investment. At the same time, they need to manage the second funnel, which is go after the right kind of startup founders and convince them to also take money. I know I'm saying that convinced to take the money, but a lot of people will say, Abhishek, it's not the case. A lot of founders <laughs> chase fund managers the other way around, right? But believe me, if if you are looking from a GP's perspective, they are always looking for those dark horses mm -hmm. where they really want to deploy their money as long as they find those dark horses in, in their own sets, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's, it's a difficult uh, extremes they are handling at any point of time between the two funnels. And to make it more complex, it's one of the most compliant business in in the world there are so many compliances based on the jurisdiction you are structured in as an organization uh, you could be here in the us you could be any part of the world uh, there are quarterly returns you need to file you need to always have a bookkeeping around you you need to always take legal services as part of your of your operation so there's a lot of complexity around in the process and there are no guaranteed returns <laughs> right uh, <laughs> while while they promise their investors a certain level of returns they could end up getting but we all know it's a very risky capital which they are working with and so these are so many moving pieces um, I, I i don't know how some of these vc fund managers even sleep at <laughs> night <laughs> with so much of things running around them right so yeah, that's the complexity. Uh, but what makes it interesting is two parts, uh, Martin, based on my uh, uh, understanding and talking to a lot of people is there is the science part and then there is the art part mm -hmm. of the business, right? And uh, I have seen some of the fund managers or GPs uh, who have been able to strike a good balance between these two to get the desired results they achieve. And some of them either learn it from senior peers in the industry or some of them learn it the hard way by making those mistakes. <laughs> it kind of, I want to unpack that a little bit, what you just said, because there's two critical components, but that kind of takes us to where the title of the show is. This episode for today is really, you know, not just a fund manager. You're, 
you're leading, you're, you're that CEO that needs to build relationships that need to oversee moving parts. I mean, the due diligence part, um, what people don't realize is that AML anti-money laundering is a big component of it or of the, of the compliance is that because there's been so many people who have been basically laundering money and washing money from one jurisdiction to another, one country to another. Uh, that is one of the reasons why we've got a, a lot of uh, compliance around that. The second thing is the art form versus uh, the practical mathematics of success. Like any other business, you have a success ratio that is dictated uh, by pure statistics. And I think there's a lot of VCs or investors, private equity use kind of the same methodology as well. But really about, you know, what if I if I take 100 companies within this industry and give them each, a, a, you know, a million bucks, 20% of those will, you know, return the million dollars and then 10% of that will return. So they play a numbers game. But I think the critical part, the art form of it, that where we come in very frequently uh, is, you know, a lot of VCs ask us, they go, hey, listen, I don't, that the number one question that we get is, hey, what about the management team, right? What about the management team? What about the management team? What about the management team? And you're like, okay, well, there's a, there's, there's something, you know, over the years we've realized that that's the key thing is um, they trust the idea, but they don't necessarily trust the management team to take that business to the next level. And that's where we make a lot of, of impact is really coming in as a SWAT team to be able to do that. So I think what Abhishek is really saying about understanding the balance between a numbers game, but also the art form of leadership, of building, of recognizing talent, of not being just a mathematician. And I think what Abhishek is saying is that there's some VCs that are really good at math, but really horrible on the people side. And I'm, uh, there are some VCs who are really, really good on the people side, but not necessarily good on. So I'm sorry, I'm explaining kind of the context of the title. So yes, absolutely what, right. Yeah. So what do you see? Because you've been exposed and you are exposed to all of these things. Um, what's the biggest what's the biggest trend that you're currently seeing when it comes time to, you know, realizing to become from a fund manager to really understanding to become a, the best or the CEO of funds? Yeah. Um, so uh, what I have seen of late is that a lot of professionals are looking at becoming a fund manager, right? And in the prior avatar, they would have either worked at a bigger firm or a fund where they would have understood these two aspects and uh, uh, institutionalize mm -hmm. them within themselves. And now they are trying to come over or they are successful entrepreneurs in their own rights. Mm -hmm. And they believe now this is their way of giving back to the ecosystem by uh, contributing to the capital. So there are multiple ways uh, one can end up being a fund manager. I think um, a lot of people still um, need to understand that the underlining thing which cuts across this is having a growth mindset mm -hmm. and uh, from from my aspect um, once you start getting into this game there are a few things which are needed from a growth mindset perspective which i think i have seen and observed people having one is 
they are always looking at problems as opportunities mm-hmm. right whether it's coming from business operations it's coming from a founding team it's coming from a startup they always see them as opportunities where they can they can make some money or they can make or create an impact around that particular place that's one the uh two. before you go into two i think that there's a lot mm-hmm. of managers fund managers out there that have a problem for each solutions so i've reversed that is because <laughs> there's often at times you go well here's let's think about the, well no we can't do that because of this oh well what about this well we can't do that because of that and i i feel that when they get attached too much to the number you get that kind of hey oh there's always a problem for each solution so that's something that i really listen to is the excuses of why something is not yeah. performing right yeah yeah no i agree i i am with you on that <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the second thing is is that i have seen a lot of these fund managers martin they have a very high level of conviction about what they are getting into or uh, sometimes they articulate that in form of a fund thesis as well mm-hmm. right that they believe that what they are going into or going after or collaborating with uh, would lead to creating that impact which they are mm-hmm. looking at does it happen every time uh, not sure but that conviction uh, rate is very very high in these uh, in these uh, these kind of people uh the third element is and this is where i see some fund managers distinctly different from the others and i will use a south african uh, proverb here which says go faster alone go alone go mm-hmm. together you go further right mm-hmm. so there is a lot of um fund managers who believe in going alone Mm-hmm. but there are a lot of successful ones who believe in the uh, possible art of team work mm-hmm. is it noisier is it dirtier sometimes we all know how it works mm-hmm. right but yes i mean that the the benefit and the results can be seen by themselves the uh it, it's funny because as soon as you introduce a couple of people and and you have a position of authority if you are professional and so let me for all the for all the professionals out there regarding your profession you tend to be a lone wolf right you tend to be somebody who may work as a group but not often is there's a, there's cooperation not necessarily as much collaboration if you want to call it that right so at the hospital there might be a lot of doctors that are working in the same facility but they're not necessarily working collaborating on everything again i'm i'm generalizing so for all my professional friends sorry for putting you in a bucket but hey that's your mindset that's how you that's your mo um when we talk about business especially in acquisitions m&as they tend to say well I, I, here you go i've bought you i've given you the money and they don't invest the time to coach and mentor and the art form of really following a process of growing a company and what they tend to forget because listen very carefully when when abhishek said it's like you have to have a growth mindset and when a lot of people associate growth mindset is growing your sales okay great but you need to grow the company too if you need to grow the company you need to hire people so you need to have a solid hiring process you need to have a solid performance management process you need to have a strong leadership process a strong quality oh my goodness that's all operational 
So they think that because they understand governance, they understand operations. And professionals are the furthest away removed from having an operational mindset. Don't get me wrong. There are some great people. But what you're educated in school is follow the process in regards to, you know, tick this box, tick this box. You're not you're not instructed or educated to deal with the day-to-day push and pull of what Abhishek called a dirty job, right? Your sleeves are rolled up. You're an operator. You're wearing coveralls. You got to get into the thick of things. And that's solving human problems in a very financial world. Sorry, I just kind of got onto the, my soapbox Absolutely. there for a second. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, I think that that reminds me of uh, 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 a small scenario which I had come across very uh, recently, and uh, one of my stakeholders asked, "You know what? Uh, I want uh, a certain kind of reporting or dashboard from the data which mm. I have, right?" And um, I understand, right? There are business mm-hmm. reports, there are operational reports, there are dashboards and stuff. But until a user doesn't know what they want to do out of the data or the decisions they want to take out of the data, you can give them the most classic looking reports. You can give them the most classic looking numbers. It won't take them anywhere forward. So you should know how to derive insights and take decisions out of it. And that can only happen with experience, with you understanding the ground realities at an operation level that cannot be happening otherwise. I mean, that's at least my experience so far working with so many stakeholders. Globally. It's, uh, it's hilarious how when, when, you're, when you're an accountant and you look at pro, a, a P&L sheet, and so the accountant will tell you, here's where you're losing money, here's where you're gaining money, do more of gaining, do more or less of losing. When an operator looks yeah. at it, he goes, okay, where are we investing and where can we save time? Is this... What you see as an operator is the actions behind the numbers where there's very few. And we have one, Wade uh, Atherton, who works with us as Urjo, is is an accountant. But he's got this great ability to be able to see the numbers and look at the actions behind it and and dive down deep into, you know, looking at a P&L or balance sheet and goes, oh, wow, we're, we're struggling with retention. I was like, how'd you see that, Wade? And he says, well, look at the correlation between this number, that number, and this number. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. Well done. Well done, right? And that, then he yeah. pulls that information and gives it to the operator, gives it to Kevin, who's, in, who's our CEO, and says, hey, listen, this company, if we want to bring it into our portfolio, we're going to have to increase a lot of the accountability because we're the leadership accountability because we have so much turnover. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, look at that. And so I think there's too little people, especially in the funds manager, that are capable of seeing operational issues from the company's economics, in my opinion. Absolutely. It could be the case because um, what they are currently busy is looking at – other areas of the business which are more critical to them than going into a portfolio company and looking at what are their operational drivers or legards which they need to focus on and help them with that. Sometimes uh, the portfolio company are forthcoming and raising the flag and saying, mm-hmm. I need help over here. And that, that makes life a lot more easy. 
which is very seldom i believe because people don't want to uh, be seen in mm. a very wrong light these days right but if they can do that i i believe it saves a lot of time effort and you don't have to do course corrections down the line i mean you can then you can be more agile in terms of how you are looking at uh, addressing your target market but you're right uh, just to conclude this part of the growth mindset one more thing which i see a lot of vcs and i will take an another mm. analogy over here martin is that it's the what time ceo versus the oh, peace time ceo yeah. right you would have heard about this it's it's a very old yes. thought a lot of people have written about it they have shared their view views around it and i wanted to draw an analogy with that yes. with the fund managers right you can see that in a single day they are playing both the hats they are a what time ceo sometimes they are a peace time ceo and and it's very difficult to juggle oh, those yes. hats uh in a in in a moment right um, um classic example uh larry page if you see he was mm-hmm. more of a wartime ceo right uh, he he really had to grow steve jobs wartime ceo he didn't have the luxury they were always very productive about their business the way market is looking at them the way the competitors are looking at them at the same time the presidents who followed these companies as successful ceos mm-hmm. they were the peace time one they had an option of being more creative a more expansive they had a a bit of a traction a track record built in to which they could mm-hmm. take it further right so these scenarios play in day in day out in a life of a vc fund manager where they are trying to play these hacks and it's not mm-hmm. very easy it looks easy but it's again the art which which comes into handy if if they have there's a we tend to look at it in quarters uh we always at urgio uh, even for ourselves we apply and say okay are we in an aggressive state or defensive state are we on the attack or are we on the de- defense and we do it on a quarterly basis and so we're okay this quarter for us is more an aggressive one we're really kind of wartime aspect of gain 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 as much momentum gain as much terrain gain as much so that we tend to go kind of cyclical you know wartime then peacetime wartime then peacetime so we kind of go cyclical in that and that's what we encourage a lot of there's too many times i mean one uh, cpg plant based company that we worked with you know the wartime was like okay go 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 the market is hot for cpg for plant based and now uh you know everything has gone down and when the opportunity was there the in- inability of the fund manager to really recognize the opportunity as a whole as a whole was a bit of their downfall um so it it was disappointing to see that the decision was not made to sell because they thought oh there's so much more there's so much more Well, hold on a second. Is the market going to stay forever? You know, anyways. Long story short, uh, to 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 Abhishek's comment, they didn't know which wartime or peacetime to really pick on a regular basis. It was just go, 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 go. Explosive growth all the time, and that's not prosperous. There's no. Uh, the what I want to close out with on this one is that. often at times companies vcs are looking to invest for a transformation 
they're looking for their investment to transform. And if you're transactional, where well, you think, well, I'm going to put a hundred bucks in and I'm going to expect 200 bucks out. Well, what are you doing to transform the machine to give you money? If it's a spending money, you know, how many times have Abhishek, you've probably been exposed to a lot of investment where the CEO just burns through the money. Their burn rate is crazy. And I say, well, give me more money. Well, the behaviors that you have are not transformational. You are not a frugal individual. So the people that actually ask for help are the people that understand the value of their capacity and capability and go, I'm not capable or I don't have the capacity to do that. Please help me. And I think those are the investments yeah. that you should never go, oh, I'm going through, you know, I'm spending a whole bunch of money, blah, blah, blah. And then you throw money at it and go, hey, you're out of money in nine months. Well, you didn't. Did yeah. you ask or did you encourage a transformational behavior within the organization? So Abhishek, okay. tell us what is the uh, what is the 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 most beautiful trend that you are seeing right now in the investment world? What is so rosy? You're like, oh, I'm I'm getting faith back in humanity because this is happening. <laughs> So there are few trends which are playing globally, Martin. One, companies are staying Ooh. private longer. So instead of five to seven years uh, of a company from idea to IPO, it now oh, becomes nice. seven to 10 years, number one. Number two, there are a lot more accredited investors who are coming on board who want to be LPs or investors in a fund globally. And that number is increasing because people have realized that other asset classes like gold, real estate is not giving the kind of re mm -hmm. uh, returns they are expecting. Uh, so they want to look at that. And while they can go to a stock market, but the interesting fact over in a stock market is that there are around 60 mm -hmm. stock markets globally today. And in the last 20 odd years, the number of companies in the stock market have declined mm -hmm. by 10 to 15%. And that's could be a function of mergers and acquisition that could be a function of multiple other areas right the compliance being stricter the cost of capital being higher what does that mean that there are people interested in putting money in private markets there is supply of companies in the private markets and in the future if if forecasts are to be believed in the next 10 odd years it will overshadow the public markets in terms of the amount of Mm -hmm. assets under management it will be holding or managing globally now that's where i get up every day and i realize that there is so much potential happening so much of work happening in pockets globally right uh, innovation is no more mm -hmm. limited to silicon valley it's happening all over the world uh, investments are all over the world if i had to start a startup 10 years 15 years back I mm -hmm. need to have access to capital. And for that, probably I'll have to come mm -hmm. to the Bay Area and do my fundraise. Today, I can do my fundraise sitting anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter, right? So these are some very amazing trends. And adding to all this are mm -hmm. the Gen Zs. And the reason I'm calling them out is because I can see a lot of Gen Z stakeholders or people looking at being a fund manager or being in the investment business going forward their drivers are different from millennials and others other uh, demographics and it's interesting to see that while the 
the market will grow there will be more stakeholders more fund managers who will be involved in this fine art of mm-hmm. creating value and nurturing business going uh, forward i think the the globalization is is really in two folds i i believe that public markets are dying because people tend to want to consume more locally as well and don't i think there's a there's a sense of when something goes public that it is not as it's emotionless it's cold it's publicly traded companies have seen too much down and people are are savvier investors in my opinion you know when we were growing up you know my parents they they'd say okay we'll put the money in the bank account and let it sit there for and then you had a little bit more investors to say real estate now we've got markets right back in the 80s and 90s the public markets were really there bigger and now with all these downfalls people go oh screw that i'm not like i mean in 2008 i lost what something like $160,000 of my personal money in you know 24 hours like what that's like four years worth of work <laughs> that has just kind of disappeared and i think because they're more savvy the other thing I, I was at a 40s under 40 uh, dinner a couple of months away. And it was amazing to me how these younger CEOs and founders, mostly millennials, I guess, and some Gen Zs, knew more about seeds and M&As and funding and financing than I did in certain cases. What I found enlightening was that what I found disappointing was that they didn't understand the value of having a solid business first. And that was disappointing. Well, I'm third purchase profitable. And how, tell me, how does that work? Like who's, who's paying for the losses for the first two purchases? How does that work? Right. Um, and then there's a couple of other ones. Shout out to Vessies, the shoes, uh, they did a really good job of staying private. And I think that that what you're saying about staying private for longer, I think people are realizing that they have a more prosperous mindset and millennials were all about, and I'm generalizing of course, but it was all about Silicon Valley, sell, 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 sell. You know, I don't care if you're selling smoke and mirrors, you're going to make a a gajillion dollars. Now people are realizing, well, that's not ethical. It's not really working. So how about I just have a good idea, get some money and investors are seeing that. Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong in having something that is more of a cash cow than a big, you know, payout in my opinion. No, I agree. And I think that's, that's mm-hmm. where the excitement is. And uh, while I am in my early forties, I can see that the next 10, 15, 20 years will largely be transformational globally in this space. And I'm thankful uh, though not by design, by chance, I am now part of the private markets ecosystem and I really enjoy spending time with these smarter and sharper people mm-hmm. around me at any point. I'm going to jump onto the mic because in uh, Abhishek is going to go on mute because somebody's mowing the lawn in, in his backyard. Uh, so the the one thing that is is critical in today's market is understanding what you are investing in. And what I mean by that is be realistic in how you come across your investment. Do you want high risk? Do you want low risk? Do you want this? Do you want that? The market is very complex. But when you understand 
at what place you fit in. Don't just give your money blindly to somebody. Just say, here's what I see my money doing. And there's a show that's going to come up with uh, Mark. We're going to be recording in the future uh, here. And the one thing that he always says is, don't view your investments, your your whatever you want to invest in as your investment. View it as a, that is my new car. That is my kid's scholarship. That is, so when there's a, there's a physical or, and or emotional attachment to that, you're much more appreciative and intentional on how to invest that money. And we're not all angels and VCs and, and private equity or family officers. But if you have that mindset, I think that that's, I think that's where the Gen Zs come in as well, is that they've lived and seen all of that. And they go, let's be more intentional with our work and our money. I think that's a, that's a, that's a good generational situation that we're faced with. Absolutely. I think uh, that's important because uh, we leave the planet better than we, we got it. So, and uh, that can only happen if people are a little more conscious about their decisions from uh, investment, commercial or money perspective. Uh, Abhishek, what is, let's flip the coin now. What is dark and jewelry? What is the, the dark side of what's happening and what do we need to improve on? So um, I think one, one such area which you already highlighted, Martin, is the uh, anti-money laundering space. Uh, and the reason I'm calling that out is because there is a certain intent with which this ecosystem is getting emerged. And while there are people who are being fair, but there are also people who are trying to take advantage of some of the structural and other loopholes which the ecosystem has, uh, which actually should be seen from benefiting the ecosystem rather than using uh, for various other practices. So that's one definite area I see um, people to focus on. The second is, I believe a lot of stakeholders in the ecosystem work in the silos um, because they don't want to collaborate or they, they prefer competing over collaboration. And I feel uh, that can be changed. It could be again a function of using technology if they think they can have their business rules called out and have rule-driven engagement if they require. Because I, I can see that uh, I'm talking to a lot of incubators as part of my work profile as well. And I can see that a lot of them see startups from other parts of the world who have a better, efficient, cheaper, smarter technology, which can benefit lives over here in North America. And those startups need market landing opportunities over here, right? And those startups don't know how to do that. So that's where collaboration comes into play. They can get uh, an incubator in Far East to work with an incubator here to benefit the startup and create that value collectively. So if they can collaborate, I see a lot more value can be generated for the stakeholders involved. In it's, the uh, it amazes me because we were, my boy and I were watching a nature show and it was about um, the great apes and you saw the competitive nature of the chimpanzees versus the collaborative approach to bonobos. And, and it's amazing, the survival rate, the tension rate, the age, the bonobos, because they collaborate and they work together, both male and female, is, is, is absolutely beautiful and they, they work really well in the day-to-day. -day. 
the chimpanzees who are very competitive between tribes is a live and die situation continuously, continuously. I mean, you can take the lions and the hyenas in the same way. Uh, so should we not as elevated creatures understand the benefit of collaboration, right? That's why I always say people ask me I say what are your competitors doing I don't know they're probably doing the same thing as me <laughs> you know? and uh oh Martin I spoke I spoke to one of your competitors oh can you introduce me I said why would you want to be introduced well what happens if I can help him or her and why would you want to help him or her well you know goodness pays in the end of the world karma is a good thing right so there's ways of and I think the one thing that we have learned over the years in regards to collaboration is not be everything to everybody and not trying to be hoarding all the stuff. Mm -hmm. What am I good at? And then pass on anything that right. you feel is not aligned and say, Hey, listen, no, you know, Jimmy, Hey, listen, I've got a client, Susie. She's not really my ideal client profile. I could work with her, but I think she, it, it would benefit a lot more if she worked with you both now now cindy or whatever judy i called her she sees me as oh a great person but jimmy also says well you gave me something without asking and that pays dividends at the end of the day a thousand times in my opinion and the one thing that we always say uh when we when we are talking to uh organizations that are part of roll-ups that we're doing or mergers and and we all say you know through believing in people we have a greater return and they go what it's the investment is done the company is run 95 percent by human beings you know we're not completely automated and even the the best SaaS has humans behind it so by investing in people you're gonna get a bigger return and then you see the light bulb flick on and you go oh i get it now yeah Operations is more about ensuring that there's a quality be behind the behavior and the process, and that, and that's an investment that is done on a day-to-day -day basis that is transformational. So I'm glad to see that. Well, I'm not. I'm glad to see that you're seeing the opportunity of collaboration. Um, what is the biggest win that you see could happen? in the next year or two in the industry? What is very close that you're going to say, oh, this is a game changer. This is going to bring a lot to the industry. Um, I think a lot more understanding of how value is created. And when I say value is created, it can only be created if value can be nurtured, oh. right? Uh, and for nurturing values, you need to nurture the mm. startups. You need to nurture the, the, the founders who are there. And that comes at a cost. It comes at multiple factors are involved over there. Uh, I see that will be the biggest takeoff for this industry that um, somebody told me this very interestingly that, you know, a lot of federal governments uh, invest a lot of money in the startups. Uh, in incubators in form of grants and they say you know Abhishek that's the best way uh, a government can spend and waste its money for the community 
and i said yeah. it totally makes sense i mean instead of it going in some other bucket it rather go into innovation and entrepreneurship why not i agree i agree the a couple of areas that i think we've lost in in sports and education what's the difference between entrepreneurship and school there's nothing to entreprendre to take on right why can we not and i think the 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 northern countries um are really doing well where they're changing the educational system into a a situational okay you own a pizza shop you know what are you going to do so it's very practical in regards to understanding finance and now not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur but i do believe that the one thing that we do not do well in in the world is including economics in the educational process or entrepreneurship we are the system now is built to pump out employees and that's okay we need employees not everybody can be but we pump out for the corporate world where do we does the country need more corporations maybe maybe not i'm not saying that they're evil but where is it that we need to place the investment is really in the future and it starts with nurturing and supporting yeah. what is uh abishek what is the reference material of choice what is the book the video <laughs> the movie the saying that is by your bedside on your night table or in your office or something that you've written on a sticky note that always stays in your mind so um and i'll refer uh, for this to a book which i had read a few years back and in fact that kind of made me look at the entrepreneurship space more seriously it's a biography of an indian entrepreneur called rocky skuwala and the book title is dream with my eyes oh. open that's beautiful right uh, it's my all time favorite read in fact i've read that book two or three times all over and it's always refreshing to go through the journey of one such entrepreneur and how he did end up being one of the most successful entrepreneurs uh, back in india um that's one book i recommend and the second book which i recommend is the yes. art of ikigai <laughs> um, i'm sure a lot of readers would have read about it and the four circles and and the power of getting them together and and balancing them is is what i believe in so yeah that's one thing which i recommend a lot of my uh, team members or stakeholders with, with whomever i work i do recommend ikigai is japanese for finding your purpose for those people who don't know what ikigai is what are you good at what can you get paid for what does the world need and so the four quadrants of that you kind of pick where you fit and try to really fine tune your life to fit in the middle of really finding your purpose the the one thing that i'd like to close with is that i've been saying this of late is you don't need to make millions or sell your company or become this great super shot company to be able to find your purpose and help people be who they need to be there is nothing wrong with celebrating hard work find your craft hone your trade be good at what you are and be proud of what you do 
I think we've lost that over the years where people are not, they're always oh, just a job. Well, be proud of the output that you have. Let's put quality in front of quality. And especially when it comes time to investment and especially in these younger generation of, of company owners and founders. Thank you very much for Martin for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you and uh, namaste to oh, all your audience. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Abhishek, I, we could go on for hours and hours talking about this. I think it's just a lovely subject. So I truly appreciate your time and commitment. Thank you. With that being said, my name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate vision into frontline operations. Please like, subscribe, and click the notification bell so that you know when the next episode comes out. With that being said, thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.